We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi. It's been a week. It has. So, instead of doing the episode that I had originally planned... Mm-hmm. After the whole Roe v. Wade being overturned thing. Yep. The United States as a whole fulfilling its handmade tale destiny. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I spent a lot of time upset about what that meant mm-hmm. for the future of my children. Yes. And my friends. Mm-hmm. And after crying... I got angry. So for this week's episode, I chose violence. And there will be lots of violence in today's episode. Think Game of Thrones level violence. So like the Red Wedding. Yeah. So if you're not prepared for that, I would skip this episode. All right. Female rage. Yep. Feminine presenting rage. Yes. Red Wedding. All right. It's going to be good. Okay. This week, we are going to be discussing Queen Olga of Kiev. Oh, okay. Okay. Tie in some Ukrainian Mm -hmm. badassery. Yep. All right. Okay. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2022 All That's Interesting article by Genevieve Carlton. 2022 The Collector article by... Dianira Morris, Uh, 2022 The Conversation article by Miles Pattenden, 2015 History Answers article, Britannica, the Diocese of Westminster Youth Ministry website, we'll get get there, and four Wikipedia pages. Ooh, not one, not two, not three. Four, four four stones. Name that movie. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Unless you've been living under a rock when Russia decided to invade Ukraine earlier this year, you have probably heard of today's woman and saint. That's right, she was canonized as a saint, but we'll get to that a little later. All right. First, let's get into who she was. Olga was born to Viking parents of Varangian descent in northern Russia, specifically Pskov, near the Estonian border, around the start of the 10th century. So that'd be 900 CE. Okay. Her exact birth date is unknown, but historians believe it was anywhere between 890 to 925 CE, although some speculate it was likely 903 CE. Okay. Unsurprisingly, very little is known of her life prior to her marrying Prince Igor I of Kiev at the age of 15. 
Okay, so she went from being a Viking wild child to a queen. Yep. So her parents, even though they were pagans, and she herself is slash was pagan, they were considered a form of royalty. So she was, in fact, a princess when she married Prince Igor. So Okay. Probably more of a relation political move? Probably. Igor was the son of Ruik of Ladoga, who was the founder of the Ruik dynasty and the next in line to rule. Following his father's death in 879 CE at the age of 55 to 54, the kingdom was run by Oleg of Novgorod, the Grand Prince of Kiev, from 879 to 912 CE until Igor was able to take over the mantle. I should mention that Igor was very young when his father passed, so obviously his marriage to Olga came much later. Yeah, that's good. She didn't marry an infant, so... We don't like children marrying children. No. Or children marrying creepy old guys. Yeah, just children marrying. Yeah. Let's let's wait. Let's sit on it. Let's not do that. Let's wait. During Oleg's reign... He consolidated power in the region by conquering neighboring tribes in the Denibar cities and seized control of Kiev from the Norse rulers of the region, making it the capital city of the newly created Kievan Rus state, what is today Ukraine, Belarus, and Russia. So it's kind of like that pocket. That little border. Yeah. It helped that Kiev was located in an area that was ideal for raiding Constantinople. But you can't go back to Constantinople. No, which is modern-day Istanbul. Mm -hmm. In 883 CE, Oleg had the nearby Drevlians pay tribute, and in 907 CE, they took part in a military campaign with Kiev against the Byzantine Empire. Although the assault of the Byzantine Empire may have seemed aggressive, the peace treaty that resulted was greatly beneficial to both nations through trade negotiations. Nice. Way to go. Way to go. Doing war right? Question mark. <laughs> By the time that Igor was able to assume the mantle of Prince Igor I, it was only after Oleg passed away in 912 CE. Up until that point, the Kievan Rus had enjoyed a complex relationship with the Drevlians, who would regularly pay tribute to Oleg during his reign. However, upon his death, they instead paid their tribute to a local warlord, thus severing their ties as friends of the Ruik dynasty. Got it. I mean, at the time... And today, you kind of go with whoever's throwing stuff the most. He who throws, who casts the first stone is the one I'm going to follow. Yeah. Well, and I. <laughs> so it's great. And I think it's something where, because prior to Oleg taking on the mantle of king, per his. I, can't, I couldn't tell if it was like his brother or his cousin. That was mm. the the first king. Probably his cousin. I think because he was so well respected prior to his death that when his nephew was taking over, they're like, screw this guy. And yeah. that's kind of what happened. Yeah. 
I feel like that probably, I think, I feel like that happened a lot. Yeah. Where, like, if you didn't establish your dominance prior to your current leader, Mm -hmm. you would lose respect pretty quick. Yeah. And I cannot be sure of anyone's ages as very little has survived. But at some point, it's believed in 943 CE, Igor and Olga welcomed a son, Sviolitslav I Igorovich. That's a nice name. Mm-hmm. What was his nickname? <laughs> Svi. Just Svi. kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Svi. Little Svi the first. It is believed that Olga was around 17-ish when she gave birth to her son. So Yeah. She probably got married at like 15, 16. Yeah, they, they think she was married around 15, a couple mm-hmm. years later, had her son. Yeah. During a campaign in 945 CE, in which Igor was collecting tribute from the Drevlians, remember, their mm-hmm. frenemies, by traveling to their capital city of East Korosten, he was brutally murdered after he attempted to extort more money from them. Yeah, if it's a friend of me, that's not a good idea. Yeah. Going into their home turf. Yeah. Admittedly, this wasn't the smartest move on his part, considering that the Drevlians hadn't willingly partnered with the Caban Rus in 33 years yeah. since Oleg's passing. And then you kind of wander in and you're like, pay tribute. And they're like, okay. And then you turn around and you're like, this isn't enough money. By the way, inflation. <laughs> Ye yeah. old inflation. <laughs> it's been 33 years, you got, y'all. Um, Ye old interest. So Leo the Deacon, who was a Byzantine chronicler, noted the gruesome details of his death as follows. Oh, God. Quote, they had bent down two birch trees to the prince's feet and tied them to his legs. Then they let the trees straighten again, thus tearing the prince's body apart. Oh, wow. End quote. At least you hope it'd be a swift death. You would hope. Ah. Uh, was it like a clean? I don't, I don't know. Okay. According to historian... Diodorus of Sicily, it's believed that Leo's account of Igor's demise may have been embellished, although similar tales have been shared. But that didn't change the fact that he left behind his young wife and their three-year-old son in a precarious situation. Yeah. Because, you know, women were highly respected, especially one who was 17. So respected. With a young king. Who yeah. didn't earn his place. Who was too young to rule. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Olga, now around 20, then became regent on behalf of her son, Sviolitslav, until he was of age to rule, and held the title of the first woman to rule, Kivan Rus. Nice. The true legend of Olga starts following the weeks and months after her husband's murder. The Drevlians, following Igor's death, sent 20 emissaries to suggest that she marry their leader, Prince Mal. Oh, wow. Wow, thank you so much for bringing the matchmaking to me. Yep. That's nice. Olga was said to have responded, quote, 
Your proposal is pleasing to me. Indeed, my husband cannot rise again from the dead. But I desire to honor you tomorrow in the presence of my people. Return now to your boat and remain there with an aspect of arrogance. I shall send for you on the morrow, and you shall say, We will not ride on horses, nor go on foot. Carry us in our boat, and you shall be carried in your boat. End quote. Oh, this isn't going to end well. The emissaries returned the following day and repeated the words that they were instructed to say. Uh-huh. Following this, the people of Kiev came together to carry the 20 men in their boat to the court. Mm-hmm. The men all believed this to be a great honor until their boat was thrown into a trench that had been dug the day before under Olga's orders. As the men were buried alive, it is said that Olga crouched down to, quote, inquire whether they found the honor to their taste, end quote. Yep. She's just getting started, isn't she? Oh, yes. Yep. This wasn't the end of Olga's revenge against the Drevlians, however. After killing the emissaries, she sent word to the prince accepting his marriage proposal, while also asking him to send, quote, their distinguished men to her in Kiev, so that she might go to their prince with due honor, end quote. After all, it was important to show her people just how good of a match this was, right? Right. Yeah. The prince who had no idea that the initial party had been murdered, gathered, quote, the best men who governed the land of Dereva, end quote, and sent them to the capital per the queen's request. Every single one of them. Best soldiers. Yep. Great. The best governors. Leaders. Okay. All right. Upon their arrival, Olga had her people prepare a bath for them and invited her distinguished guests to meet with her in person following their bath. Because, you know, it's been a long journey. Right. You probably smell. Respect me. Respect the prince. And you, you want to look the part when you right. meet with the queen? Yeah. After the Drevlians entered the bathhouse, Olga had all the doors bolted and then set on fire to prevent their escape, burning them alive. It's really, yep, she's... Really liking these slow deaths. If you think this was the end of it, you'd be very, very wrong. She's just getting started. That was just the sampler platter, Mm y'all. After immolating the entire ruling class of the Drevlians, she sent a third message, ordering them to, quote, prepare great quantities of mead in the city where you killed my husband that I may weep over his grave and hold a funeral feast for him, end quote. Respectable, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to marry you, but give me this one mercy. Let me mourn my dead husband. My husband. Let me mourn him before I marry you. Yeah. Surprisingly, this request was granted. And when Queen Olga, along with a small group of attendants, arrived at Igor's tomb, she did as she said and wept before holding a funeral feast. The Drevlians who attended the feast drank heavily, and once they were drunk, Olga had her followers kill them. The Primary Chronicle notes that 5,000 Drevlians were killed the night of her husband's funeral feast. 
And she only had a few ad- attendants? Mm-hmm. Damn. Those are some good soldiers. Yeah. After which, Olga returned to Kiev to gather an army to finish off the remaining survivors. Her plan was to wipe out this entire tribe of people. Yeah, because she's a Viking. Yep. 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 <laughs> so that's like the red wedding part of the, uh-huh. the story. Yep. And that's not even the worst part yet. Yeah, of course. The conflict between Kievan Rus and the Drevlians started out in Olga's favor, with many of the survivors being driven back to their cities. Olga led her army to the city where her husband was slain, which is modern-day Korosten, and laid a siege upon the city that lasted for a year without either side winning. So this oh. is the Drevlian's like capital city, and this is where like everyone is kind of stuck, like they can't yeah. escape. An entire year without mm-hmm. any. Wow, that's oof. It was at this point that Olga hatched another plan. As she does. She, as she does. <laughs> she sent the Drevlians a message that read as follows. Quote, Why do you persist in holding out? All your cities have surrendered to me and submitted to tribute, so that the inhabitants now cultivate their fields and their lands in peace. But you had rather die of hunger without submitting to tribute. End quote. The Drevlians wrote back saying that they would submit tribute, even offering to pay her with honey and furs, for they were worried she was still intent on avenging her dead husband. Oh, well, that's not right. She's clearly over it. Yeah, she's so over it. She's so over it. That was so, you know, six months ago. <laughs> Igor, who, she said. Right. Olga responded that the murders of the messengers that were sent to Kiev, along with the 5,000 at the feast night, was enough bloodshed for her. Yeah. Instead, all she asked for was very simple. That each house give her three pigeons and three sparrows. Quote, I do not desire to impose a heavy tribute like my husband, but I require only this small gift from you, for you are impoverished by the siege. End quote. Dang. How hard would it be to catch those birds? <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably would have had them in like, yeah, like cages. Yeah, you know? carrier pigeons and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but let me take out any last piece of communication system you have. The Drevlians, uh-huh. surprised and delighted that such a small price could mean the end of the siege against them, mm-hmm. eagerly granted her request. The following quote of the events comes from the Primary Chronicle. Quote, now Olga gave to each soldier in her army a pigeon or a sparrow, and ordered them to attach by thread to each pigeon and sparrow a piece of sulfur bound with small pieces of cloth. When night fell, Olga bade her soldiers release the pigeons and the sparrows. So the birds flew to their nests, the pigeons to the coats, and the sparrows under the eaves. The dovecoats, the coops, the porches, and the haymows were set on fire. There was not a house that was not consumed, and it was impossible to extinguish the flames because all the houses caught on fire at once. 
the people fled from the city, and Olga ordered her soldiers to catch them. Thus she took the city and burned it, and captured the elders of the city. Some of the other captives she killed, while some she gave to others as slaves to her follow- to her followers. Mm-hmm. The remnant she left to pay tribute. End quote. Yeah, I remember that. I remember hearing that piece specifically. Mm-hmm. She spent 15 years working tirelessly to destroy the Drevlians. And until her son's coronation in 964 CE at the age of 21, she ruled Kievan Rus as regent thanks to her army and the support of her people. She continued to evade marriage proposals and defended the city during the siege of Kiev in 968 CE by the Bulgarians. During her time as regent, Olga initiated the first legal reform recorded in Eastern Europe when she changed the system in which tributes were gathered. And after what I'm going to call the Night of the Flaming Pigeons, Olga and her son, along with her retinue, would pass through Dereva and continue to establish laws and collect tributes. In fact, some of the trading posts and hunting reserves that she established still exist today. Nice. Olga set up hunting grounds, boundary posts, towns, and trading posts all across the empire and the Mista and Luga rivers. Her work helped to centralize her rule over the empire with these trade centers that also served as administrative centers. This system would aid in the unification of the Rus's people, as well as help set up the national boundaries of her kingdom. Olga would continue to rule as regent even after the ascension of her son to the throne whenever he was away on one of his many military campaigns. She would reside at Visharad Castle in the company of her grandson until she passed away on July 11, 969 CE from illness. Again, it's unclear how old she was at the time of her death, but based on the numbers, it could be anywhere from 44 to 79. And most places believed it was 79. Yeah. And the following is a quote from the Primary Chronicle. Quote, Sviolatslav announced to his mother and his boyars, quote, I do not care to remain in Kiev, but should prefer to live in Peryatslavets on the Danube, since that is the center of my realm, where all riches are concentrated. Gold, silks, wine, and various fruits from Greece, silver and horses from Hungary and Bohemia, and from Rus's furs, wax, honey, and slaves, end quote. But Olga made reply, quote, you behold me in my weakness. Why do you desire to depart from me, end quote? For she was already in precarious health. She thus remonstrated with him and begged him first to bury her and then to go wheresoever he would. Three days later, Olga died. Her son wept for her with great mourning, as did likewise her grandsons and all the people. They thus carried her out and buried her in her tomb. Olga had given command not to hold a funeral feast for her, for she had a priest who performed the last rites over the sainted princess. End quote. Throughout her regency, Olga was noted as a political strategist, 
which can be supported by the number of ways she was able to not only enact her revenge against those who took away her husband, but to also protect the Kivan Rus from foreign rulers, yep. such as Prince Mal, who would have stripped her of all her power. Mm-hmm. So why was she made a saint again? <sighs> well, around 10 years after she laid waste to the Drevlian capital of East Koristan, she traveled to Constantinople in the Byzantine Empire, which at the time was under the rule of Emperor Constantine the Seventh. During Olga's time in Constantinople, the emperor proposed, inviting her to rule beside him. Yeah. Olga stated that she couldn't marry him due to the fact that she was a pagan, so the emperor baptized her and gave her the name of Helena. It's believed that she was baptized around 957 CE, staying true to her whimsical nature when the emperor once again proposed Olga simply replied that since she was technically his quote-unquote daughter by faith after he baptized her, and since incestuous marriages are a sin in Christianity, uh, yeah. she couldn't marry him. Oh, that's too bad. The emperor good-naturedly admitted that she'd bested him. Mm-hmm. So he sent her back to Kiev with several valuable gifts, including gold, silver, and silks. Some scholars believe that when Olga set out to visit Constantinople, she converted to Christianity in an effort to maintain their trade revenue with the Byzantine Empire. When facing a larger power, Olga was able to maintain her alliance with Constantine without threatening her political standing or offending the emperor by rebuffing his marriage proposal. After adopting Orthodox Christianity... She made strides to bring Christianity to Russia, even when her own son refused to convert from paganism to Christianity. Although Sviolitslav refused to convert, he did promise her that he would not persecute anyone who converted to her new religion. That's a big deal. Yeah. Especially since at the time, uh, Christians were not giving the deal to pagans. Oh, no. Thanks to her son's agreement to not target followers of Christianity, Olga was able to build a number of churches in Russian cities, such as her, home t- her hometown of Pushkov and the capital of Kiev. She also used her resources to set up hospitals, as well as provide welfare for the poor. She used her public announcements to teach her followers about Christianity in an effort to heal the violence in her realm. It's hard to know if the tales of her vengeance have been exaggerated or not. There are many who believe that some of the stories are based on Scandinavian folklore. It doesn't help that the stories surrounding Queen Olga were written over 200 years after her death by the very monks supported by her descendants. Yeah. Others believe the stories of her brutality against the Drevlians while she ruled as a pagan monarch were to show, quote, just how far she'd come, end quote, once she converted. Gross. See how bad she was? Now she's Christian and she's perfect. Yeah. All is forgiven. Sure. Why not? Sure. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Yep. St. Mm-hmm. Olga was canonized almost 600 years after her death in 1547 CE to honor her efforts in introducing Christianity 
to medieval Russia. Today, St. Olga of Kiev is the patron saint of widows and converts, and the first Russian saint of the Orthodox Church. Her feast day is July 11th, the day of her death. Nice. A final quote from the Primary Chronicle regarding Olga and her title of Isa Pastolos, or Equal to the Apostles, quote, She shone like the moon by night, and she was radiant among the infidels like a pearl in the mire, since the people were soiled and not yet purified of their sin by holy baptism. End quote. Yeah, fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Not sorry. And that is the tale of the warrior queen, Olga of Kiev. I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, she took the the John Wick approach mm-hmm. to killing off her husband. Could you she, imagine if that was John Lee, Wick and they stole her dog? They stole his dog. <laughs> she Liam Neeson the shit out of him. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I will find you, and I will kill you. Yep. I will spend fifteen years killing you. <laughs> Hello, I'm Rebecca Rosewood. And I'm here to help you keep your curses hexy and your hexes sexy in this snarky true crime and paranormal podcast. If you like a little personality with your true crime and a little scare with some flair, I've got you covered. Thrice Cursed is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find my curse content on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Thrice Cursed Pod. And you can find even more at ThriceCursedPod.com. Until then, keep it hexy. And this week's podcast plug is the Thrice Cursed Podcast, a true crime and paranormal podcast from our friend Rebecca Rosewood. Thrice Cursed is dedicated to telling lesser known true crime stories with an emphasis on the unsolved in as empathetic a way as possible and is dedicated to getting the facts as straight as possible as well. Nice. And we will have a link to her show in the show notes. And again, we have no more listener questions. Hmm. So what is something good you'd like to share this week? Not going to lie. It's kind of hard to think of something good, but Mm -hmm. it is important to do so. Mm -hmm. I will say that... I, so we were uh, pet sitting for our parents this weekend Mm -hmm. and it was very chaotic and (laughs) there wasn't a lot of sleeping, but all the animals had a good time, including the cats, four dogs, four cats, all in one house. And when we came back, my blood sugars were just insane Mm -hmm. and I actually took a half day off work today because I just couldn't function and so I went outside in the hammock with Willie just laying down at my feet and I just kind of swung in the hammock like a swing Mm -hmm. for like two hours today nice it was just really nice it was a nice little reset while I kind of let my body recalibrate and not hate me Mm mm-hmm because uh, I had I had six 
consecutive low blood sugars in less than mm-hmm. 24 hours, which if you are not familiar with diabetes and the effects of lows. variable blood sugars, including lows, it, it really takes a toll on your body and your mind gets kind of scrambled. And it took me 15 minutes to write a two minute email this morning. And it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, my body's telling me to rest and I rested and I'm starting to feel better. So things good. are looking up. Good. What about you? It's one good thing. So this Friday I will be heading to Yellowstone for our big family road trip this summer. Very exciting. Have you updated it for the like flooding and parts that are closed? The section where we are staying and had planned to visit has been opened again. Oh, it nice. is reopened. So okay. it's the section of the park that's by Montana okay. that is still closed and had the bulk of the flooding. Yeah. So I had been talking to my the Airbnb where we were planning to yeah. stay and was like, so what's going on? Like I was yeah. in touch with her right away after I heard there was flooding. Like, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, are you, are you guys good? Are you are still you there? Safe? And she was like, yeah, we're all good. They're going to open it back up and it'll be all open by the time you get here. And I was like, cool. Nice. So good news for them. I'm glad they weren't hit too. Yeah. Yeah. Very excited for that. We're going to hit up a lot of fun, do a lot of fun things on the way there and on the way back. One thing we're doing in South Dakota that I am very excited for is we are going to take a train ride. The train is from like the 1880s and we're going to ride it around the Black Hills. Nice. So it's like a two-hour car uh, train ride. It goes all around the Black Hills. I am pumped. Yeah. I've already purchased our tickets. You should get some leaf earrings from the Black Hills in oh, yeah. memory the of West, our grandmother. The Black Hills gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff. Going to Waldrug. We're going to Douglas, which is the home of the jackalope. Yep, that sounds about right. You know what's really funny? What? When our parents were in Iowa this weekend, they mm-hmm. saw the world's largest popcorn ball. Oh. Only in Iowa. Only in Iowa. Can you see the world's largest pop? I had so many questions when, when Dad just, like, dropped it on me. <laughs> I was like, is it, a, is it, like, a statue? Do they make it every year? Do they have to make it? more than once a year like yeah is it like the the corn palace where they remake it and marshal every year which is is on our itinerary list we may or may not stop in marshall but that's awesome anyway very excited for it should be yeah nice yeah they redo the outside every year with the different varietals of corn all the corns. All the maize. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. We have a game plan for keeping the children from killing each other. Good luck. May the odds be in your favor. I know. Truly. It's too bad you can't buy chloroform anymore. But <laughs> it's fine. You need it's, old it's whiskey fine. on the gums. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are your allergies bothering you? Take some Benadryl. So much Benadryl. That's that's the modern day chloroform form. Just get like Benadryl wipes and like wipe them. <laughs> breathe, breathe in deep, breathe children. Deep, deep breaths. It takes like ten minutes. <laughs> They're just like drooling in the back seat. Ah, sweet silence. This is bliss. Wipes. No, there's going to be like... I won't actually drug my children. No, there's going to be a warning. There's going to be a warning if there are Benadryl wipes. Please don't put this on your child's face and tell them to breathe deeply. (laughs) This isn't the 1800s. That's that's how our podcast becomes viral. (laughs) Breathe, breathe. These podcasters want to kill your children with Benadryl wipes. They want to drug your kids. With Benadryl wipes that Benadryl. don't even exist. Benadryl wipes. <laughs> Somewhere someone's writing that down. Yes, yes. Yeah, some politician that needs to be in good favor. There's a war on our children's faces. Don't have the Benadryl wipes. <laughs> Tower Dean. Pia! <laughs> oh, God, I Just remember that. This comeback tour. <laughs> oh man! Honestly, I'd take him back now. I'd, yeah, I'd take back. There's the a pianos. there's a lot of people I would take back now. But anyway, let's shut her down. Okay. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. We're also on YouTube, and we happen to have a PO box. I know we say it every week. It's still there. You can write to us at Yield Crime, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. Mm-hmm. You can also email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send your questions. Yeah. Got a query? Ask away. Just ask Jeeves. Mm-hmm. Only we are Jeeves. <laughs> and uh, I'll put on a bow tie. A great way to support the show, if you can't do so financially, is to leave a five-star rating and review mm-hmm. on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, or leave a rating on Spotify. This week's review comes from our friend Aaron over at the I Had to Say It podcast, and it's on Podchaser. And he said, this is a fantastic program. A look at the crimes of the past that will definitely make you laugh. A part of my weekly rotation. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Erin. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee with a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month to get early ad-free access to all of our content. And lastly, you can support the show physically by purchasing some of our merch over at our Public shop. And as a reminder, up until Thursday, so the day after this episode comes out, All proceeds from our merch sales will be donated to the Church of Prismatic Light, which is an LGBTQIA plus focused religion that values the true self. If you would like to donate to them financially on your own, you can do so by visiting prismaticlightchurch.org, and we will have a link to them in the show notes. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As all this crime.